Hello, everyone out there. Today is June 21st, 2020, and uh, that day is special uh, because today is Father's Day. So I just wanted to wish uh, a special Father's Day to all the fathers out there, um, to my own father, and even to those in the faith who have fathered me as well. And um, it's a joy to be a father. What a gift it is to have this job and to have children to care for. So all the fathers out there who have that responsibility and uh, who have, uh, you have a father and you are a father. So just uh, remember today um, your uh, children that the Lord has blessed you with and remember that responsibility today and look at it as such a gift from God and make a moment to uh, contact your own father and just wish him uh, blessings if that father is alive. Just bless him and thank him for the life that he has given you. And also to remember the father, our father in heaven. Uh, If this is Father's Day, then let's remember our father, the best father of all. And he's the one who gives the earthly father the ability to father us. So I just wanted to wish you a happy Father's Day and bless you. And uh, as we get into today's sermon, I just wanted to share just a couple of quick things uh, with you that the Lord's been putting on my heart. And uh, basically, uh, the Lord spoke recently to us that we needed to go back and look and uh, Jeannie uh, Ferranto uh, had given me a phone call a couple weeks ago and said, that the Lord had spoken this, to go back and look at August of 2019, that the Lord had spoken some things that he wants to uh, fulfill now, but also are are for us to remember now and for us to walk it out now. And so uh, two weeks ago, we did a repost of, of her sermon from August 2019. Then last week, I spoke on unity and what a time to speak on unity. I really felt like the Lord wanted to do that. Uh, But then today, I wanted to repost another sermon from August, and uh, it was called His Authority, Part 1. And so we're going to repost that. But I just had a couple of thoughts to put together with that. And uh, you're going to hear a lot of this in the sermon. But basically, I just wanted to remind us of how faithful God is and his amazing love for us, and his grace, and his mercy that he has for us. He is so compassionate, and that God goes before us, and he's our rear guard. Um, But there is this picture in the Bible, throughout the entire Bible, of God being God, and all of those facets of him, and then the person on the earth walking out the life that God has given them. God has done it. He has given it to them, but the person still needed to walk out uh, this life. And really, that's what faith is. It's trusting God and walking it out. It's not just a mental thing. It's not faith really until it's applied. You can say you believe it, but real faith comes out of you when you try Uh, to do it in your strength and you fail and you just have to believe God and walk out the life that God has called us to. And I read a scripture. We read it just recently. We went through Joshua recently and this verse kept going through my heart and it's been this concept really for the last year, year and a half that's been in my heart that that the Lord has put Uh, in me. And it's this thought uh, in Joshua that we see a picture of God giving them the promised land. He gave it to them. He said, it's yours. You have it. Go and take possession of it. We see that um, they go in, they look, they spy it out in uh, previous years with Moses. And because of their lack of faith, um, they come back the whole generation dies. They don't get to go into the promised land. And now their children are called to go in and possess this land that God has given them. And uh, after some time in Joshua 18, 
it says in verse 1 that the land was under Israelite control. The entire community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle. But there remained seven tribes who had not yet been allotted their grants of land. Verse 3 says, Then Joshua asked them, How long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given to you? Now, just put that thought in your mind. I'm going to read this again in a moment, but I want to read Joshua 21. In Joshua 21, It says, the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to their ancestors, and they took possession of it. So he gave it, they took possession of it and settled there. Verse 44, chapter 21, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them. Now this is key, the Lord helped them them conquer all their enemies, not a single one of all of the good promises that the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. We need to understand this, that God fulfills promises that he will, he will work out. He will work it out. He is going to fulfill every single promise uh, and We can go into chapter 23 and see again, it says in verse 3 that the Lord fought for you against your enemies. And there's more to it. You can go and read those chapters in Joshua in your own time and just see how the Lord uh, truly kept his promise and helped them drive out their enemies and they claimed this land. But going back to chapter 18, and I'm going to have you listen to this repost in a moment. It says that Joshua asked them a question, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors has given you? As we see in chapter 21 and 23 that the Lord did it, the Lord helped them, but they had to stand up, they had to take their swords, and they had to go into those territories and take them. Even though God had promised it, he had promised it a generation ago and technically way, 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 way back with Abraham had promised it. And yet it still required them to stand up and to fight for what God had given them. We must today as Christians fight for this territory that God has given us. You live in this nation. You live in this valley. This is the land that the Lord knew you'd be in before time even began. And we must, as Christians, rise up and pray and fast and seek God and and just claim. You need to just get on your face and just keep praying that this is the Lord's land that this is his land, that the Lord founded this nation. Of course, there was darkness that came along with it uh, when uh, the nation was established, but that's not surprising because there in the Garden of Eden was the serpent. So we're not surprised that there are some evil things to our history as there is to any nation, but this was a Christian nation with Christian roots, and the enemy is trying to, to control it And we need to understand that the Lord has given us victory. He has given us this land. This was a gift from the Lord. And he's asking the same question. How long will you let the enemy reign and have control over this land that I've given you? And yet, it's still the Lord. It's the Lord is fighting for you. It's not your strength. It's not your power. He's doing it. But it's that joining together, that koinonia, the partnership between God in heaven and man on the earth. So I just bless you today. That was just a quick thought that you're going to go right into this sermon. This sermon's going to get some more into that. There's an authority that God has given us and we must walk it out. It's his strength. It's not your strength. It's God. I just bless you. We love you. 
and we're going to see really soon now. It's definitely getting closer now. Uh, it's just a couple of weeks away that we'll be together physically, but we must be together right now in spirit. And so we just bless you and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Lord. It's good to be in his house, isn't it? It's good to gather, isn't it? Always. Well, I got a break last week. Uh, Jeannie preached, and that was uh, good for me, for my flesh part of me. So I'm ready today, and I just want to continue in the same theme that we've been preaching. Um, I was preaching on Esther two weeks ago, and then Jeannie began to touch on it uh, a little deeper last week. And I want to go right back into it again and just springboard from there. And so quickly, the book of Esther is a story of an enemy. Just quickly, you guys know the story, but I'll just review. It's, a, it's about an enemy that came to try to destroy you, to try to kill you, much like Satan that we read about in our word, right, came to try to take you out, right? There was a character by the name of Haman. He tried to come in and wipe out the entire Jewish people, just as Satan is trying to wipe out all of God's people. And uh, Esther and Mordecai, they got before the Lord, they called a fast, they got before, right, they got before the king in the story, just as we get before the Lord, and we say, Lord, we need your help, there's an enemy, he's tried to come after me, he's trying to touch me physically, mentally, or spiritually, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, the word says, but I thank you, Lord, that you're greater, and that you're bigger, and that your plan and purposes will be fulfilled, and then the Lord moved, just as the king moved on their behalf, right? The Lord has moved on our behalf many, many times, and we need to continue to get before the king. Because the point of the sermon, the last sermon, was that his scepter is pointed towards us, that he has favor on us and grace, that it's not a question of God answering us. That in, in, in our hearts we must settle that God is not to be sought to see if he will crush the enemy and deal with the enemy. That's not the question. He's already done it. In fact, the word says that Jesus paid a price not just to give you eternity, not just to give you retirement in eternity forever and ever, but that Jesus literally put the cross, on, it says on Golgotha, the cross was driven down into the skull, right? It's called the, the Golgotha means the place of the skull. The enemy was crushed, his head. The Bible says that the head of the serpent and the scorpion and the lion is under our feet because the cross was driven into the skull, into the head of the enemy that day and finished. And what we need to have settled in our hearts is that God, we do not need to go to God and say, God, will you take care of this enemy? Because God has already done it. What we need to do is get before Him and shed, our, shed all the flesh of, our, of, our, of ourselves and all this, this flesh that bogs us down and everything that keeps us from getting into His presence and then taking the authority that He has already given to us, that He already purchased, the price that He already paid, and take that authority and begin to live it out and speak it out and pray it out. We already have gone into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. When you come into Christianity and you say, Jesus, I abandon myself and I empty myself and I give up on my flesh and that's going to be somewhat of a process in this earthly realm. But in the spirit, I thank you that instantaneously your blood cleanses me. I'm covered and now I'm seated with you. And we need to know that we know that we know that God is for us. He is not against us, that he has a plan and he has a purpose for us, that his scepter is extended towards us. And his answer is yes, 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 yes. And I will, and I will crush the enemy and I will deal with the enemy and I will bring you into prosperity. I will bring you into blessing. I will bring you all the way through this life into eternity. That's his promise. And so I quickly just, I wanted to just sum that up, that that's such an important part to our Christianity that we need to know. We need to know it, that God is for us, that God has already done it, that his favor has already been given towards us. His favor is there for, for us. But what happened is, in the story, is he dealt with Haman. But who knows 
just like the story, that there was still a decree. There was still a plan that had been laid out to take you out. Did you know that Satan is a toothless lion? It says that he goes around roaring like a lion. Do you know the only way he gets his teeth back is if you give it to him? The only way that Satan has power over your life is if you let him have power over your life. Satan could not touch Jesus. Jesus said it firmly. You're only putting your hands on me right now because I'm letting you do that. If I wanted to, I could have 10,000 angels come down and take me away right now. But I'm willingly going. The enemy could not touch Jesus. He went willingly. And you need to know the enemy cannot touch you. But I want to say this so, so clear. I think the most confusing thing for a Christian, it starts right at salvation, and even when you've been in maturity, you still deal with this if you've been a believer, is why am I facing a trial if I'm a Christian? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I suffering? Why am I mentally, spiritually, physically in anguish if Jesus has paid the price and if I'm a believer? I think the most confusing thing for us is Jesus, I've been praying, I've been believing, and and I still see the enemy around my life. And we need to see, just like the story of Esther, is that it says that he dealt with Haman. He put him, in fact, on the very trap that was set for you. The enemy tried to trap you with sin. And Jesus dealt with sin. And you know what sin does? Sin puts you away from God, separates you from God's presence. And hell is not even a place where I personally don't believe that God sends you to hell. You just don't choose life. You're already going to hell. When you are born into this sin-filled, fallen state, you are already headed there, but Jesus offered a rescue plan to get you out of the grip of the enemy and off of the path to hell. Does anybody get that? Does that make sense? You're already headed there, right? As soon as you're born, little babies, they're already, they don't have to be taught, right? We've talked about this, but babies are jealous, right? Babies are greedy. They're babies, but they say, mine, me, my, <laughs> and I want, and they learn to cry. They cry till they get what they want, just like adults do. You don't have to be taught that. That's your sin nature. And don't blame God for that. Don't point your finger at God. That's what Romans talks about. We can't, we don't, don't start to try to, you know, God is so big. Don't try to even break that thing apart and don't figure it out. Don't point your finger at him. Let me just sum it up with that. That's a big conversation. Just come to terms with him saying this. I sent my very son. There's literally nothing else that I can do. If I could, I would. I didn't even spare my own son and his blood to rescue you. You have no excuse to be on a path towards hell. You have no excuse to be in the enemy's grip anymore. I gave even my own son to rescue you. But we need to understand this, that the enemy, as soon as we receive him and we've emptied ourselves, the enemy is going to be right there to try to get you back. Literally, from day one. Who is aware of that? Anybody need to be convinced that the devil comes around you to try to get you still, even in your mature Christianity, to doubt God? Anybody been tempted to doubt God? Anybody been tempted to to really turn completely away from God? It doesn't seem so blatant and blunt as that, but to just start doing things in your own strength. And figuring things out in your own mind again, just like you used to do, right? That's what the baby does, just like an animal. An animal doesn't answer to God. An animal fends for itself, right? They have only a couple of things on their mind every day. That's it. I need to eat. I need to rest. I need to mate. That's it. 
That's literally their cycle. And if you get in their way, right, who watches, who watches the animal shows on Netflix or TV? You get in their way of any of those things, and you're going to die. That's that animalistic, that's that flesh nature. That's the human nature. Jesus has rescued us from that because in that place is where the Satan has power. Satan only had power because they rejected God and went into, willingly, into sin. And sin is not so blatant sometimes. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's literally just doing things in your own strength. And you could say, wow, are you telling me that that is equal to murder? And I can say by the Word of God, by studying meticulously the Word of God, yes, there is no difference to doing something in your own strength and murdering someone. Because what you're doing is basically telling God, I'm rejecting your ways. That's it. It's very simple. I'm rejecting your ways. And we don't want to do that, believers. Amen? We want to be believers that say, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, for what you've done, and I want to live in that victory, and I want to be who you've called me to be, and I want to do what you've told me to say. I want to do what you told me to do and say what you told me to say, right? And I don't want to do anything else, right? We want to be those believers. And in Esther chapter 8, what happens is, is even though God has dealt with the enemy, even though he is what we call in Christianity, a defeated foe, he still has a plan that is within this realm, this human realm, right? And is still trying to unravel, right? Time is still unraveling, and there will be a day that the Bible says it will roll back up, right? It unravels, and then the scroll will roll back up like they do. He's going to roll it up like a scroll. There is coming a day. It is coming to an end, church, this earth, time as we know it, is coming to an end. It is coming. But just know, you are still alive here now. You're still living here now. Don't check out now. The moment we check out, the moment you get lax, the moment you try to live in eternity, as far as the retirement side and the free and, I'm, and I can just rest and relax side, the moment you do that, the enemy is right at your door to try to take you back down. It says in Esther chapter 8 that, it says on the same day, verse 1, that Xerxes gave the property of Haman, right? So he gave the property. He gave us the authority. It says the enemy of the Jews, he gave the property to Queen Esther, just as we looked at the allegory some weeks ago, that it was Jesus and, and Mordecai. The, it was Esther and Mordecai is this, is this union between us and Christ. And it says Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related, and the king took off his signet ring, uh, which he had taken back from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. And that's already been done. Everybody say it's already been done. The Lord has already given us dominion. The Lord has already given you victory. The Lord has already accomplished the purpose. It said, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's already been done. And yet there's a walking out. Everybody say there's a walking out. There's a walking out. It says, verse 7, because Esther comes and says, okay, you took care of Haman, but he still has a plan. The plan's still out there. So it says in verse 7, the king Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I've given Esther the property. I've given you authority. I've already impaled or I, I hung Haman up. Uh, verse 8, go ahead, send a message. So he gives him the authority, and he says, and, and use my name, right? The king said, use my name and, and revoke. You can't, re you can't revoke his thing, so we're going we're gonna to revoke it by you writing a new one, right? The enemy's already got a plan, and his plan's going to try till the very end to take you out. So 
Uh, we're not going to reverse it. The way we're going to revoke it, because that can't be revoked, is that I'm going to make a new one, and mine can't be revoked. I'm going to give a new decree that anyone in my blood, ever, anyone under me, anyone who believes in me, who confesses their sin, come on, let's just get this, right? Who believes in their heart, confesses their sin, and takes Christ into their heart, and we come into him. Now, we have an authority. We've been given a place. We've been given a position. We've been given a ring on our finger, and we've been given habitation both in heaven and on the earth through Christ. And so it says, verse 11, that the king's decree gave the Jews in every city authority. Everybody say authority. You need to understand that the Lord has given you authority. Come on, say it. I have authority through Jesus. It's not through yourself. It says the king, right? They wouldn't have had anything. Who's Haman? Who was Haman? Haman only had authority because God gave Haman authority. We don't understand that. We don't want to go back into that. And who's Mordecai? Mordecai only has the ring now because the king transferred it. Come on, the king transferred the authority from the enemy to you. Do you understand this as believers? But just because you have authority, it says, they had the authority. Look what it says. This is, this is amazing because this is literally a picture of the entire New Testament. You have authority. You've been set free. You've been given life. The Lord's dealt with the enemy. He's given you life. He's given you eternity. And he's given you authority to defend. He gave you authority to defend. Come on, say, I've been given authority. Right? Some people just get obsessed with the authority. Says, I have the authority of Jesus. And it sounds like all I've ever heard them say is they have the authority. I don't ever see them do anything with the authority. Except let you know that they have it. And it looks more like pride than the authority of Jesus. Who's, who's met someone like that? Right, we're not naming any names, but you know, everybody knows a believer like that. We have the authority, it says, to defend their lives. Come on. Do you know you have authority for defense? You don't have to go after the devil. Listen, our job as Christians is not to go after the devil. Our job as Christians, once we have let Christ do his work in us, is to shine like Christ. We're, our job is not to be on the offense. We don't need to be, because the devil's already on the offense. Our job is just to be Christ, just to keep sharing the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. The enemy has already been on the offense the moment Adam and Eve were put in the garden and given dominion, the devil was already on the offense against them. And they had a defense. The defense was the tree of life, which they gave by taking the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so Jesus has restored us back. He gives us tree of life again. He's given us authority again. And it says to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives and to take the property of the enemies. Then Mordecai left the king's presence. And this is important. Verse 15 this is so important, and we talked about it in the last week as well, but it says that Mordecai left the king's presence wearing the royal robe of blue and white, the great crown of gold. This is so cool because I love this allegory because this is really a picture of what God has done for us. In heaven, we don't understand it. We're going to cast these crowns. They don't even mean anything. I mean, they're meaningful, but we don't even want them. We're so enamored by God and his greatness and he being the king of kings that we actually cast these crowns before him. But nonetheless, he has made us royal. He has made you someone of esteem in his presence and in the presence of the enemies. You need to understand that the enemy is actually cowering at you. Do you realize the enemy is afraid of you? What he's trying to do is he tries to bring so much intimidation and so much at once that we get back into our flesh of fear and of worry and of doubt and even making stupid, fleshly, bad decisions so that we give him his power back that he didn't even have. 
Do you understand this, church? We're doing all right. But it says that God gave us, and this is exactly what it tells us in Revelation, right? Royal. We're clothed in white. And it says, in an outer cloak of fine linen and purple, and the people of Susa celebrated the new decree. And it says, it goes on actually and says that, verse 16, the Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. They were filled with joy and gladness and honored everywhere. They had been given the right, and we know the story, right? If you know the book of Esther, they do stand up and they defend themselves, and they kill 500 in the city in the first day, and then they uh, annihilate total 75,000 of the enemy that's coming after them. And then the king says, Esther, can I give you, is there anything else? I've answered you this day, is there anything else? And she says, yes, let us do it again tomorrow. And so they do the same thing again tomorrow. And on the third day, they rested and they celebrated, they feasted for their victory. God gave them victory. What I want to get us to get in our hearts today is that God's already given us the authority. It's really just a simple message. I don't mean to be yelling away. I'm excited. I guess I'm excited. Man, you take one week and I'm yelling again. Ready to preach, yelling at anybody. I'm yelling because I'm excited. I'm excited because he gave us the authority, but then it says that they still had to defend themselves. Come on, we get this. Jesus paid a price and gave you authority, but you must use it. Everybody say, I must use it. I know it's, this is like deep, deep stuff and this gets complicated to figure it out where God's power and His authority and Satan and you, where how they all mix together. But I almost, I, well, not almost, I want to be bold and say God's not going to do it for you. He's already done it. God's not going to do it for you. He's already done it. He's already done it. So many times we're, we're praying, we cry out to God, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I'm crying out. God, I need you. And, and he says, I already gave you my word. Who's heard that from the Lord before? Who's cried out to the Lord and the Lord's already said, I gave you my church. I gave you people around you. I gave you my spirit. I gave you everything you need. You just need to stand now. You need to stand. Come on, don't be surprised that the enemy comes, and don't be surprised that there's a battle. The Bible says that his battle will continue all the way till Armageddon, right? The world is all kinds of pictures of that, right? The world's made movies about it, and right, it gets into all kinds of folklore, and they twist it and turn it into all kinds of even zombie stuff or whatever, right? But it's real. It's in the Bible. The enemy is not going to stop until it says that he gathers up the entire world. He's going to gather up the rulers of the world and many are going to follow him. And it says that even the elect will be deceived. You know who the elect are? They're not special. It's not like, oh, it's like a, a level above a normal Christian. <laughs> the elect are the believers, the real believer. Right? There's some that are kind of, you know, they're, they're learning, they're thinking, they're deciding, and they're coming into the kingdom, and then you become a believer, right? Who knows that? I don't know where that, I'm not going to try to define that line for you, but you all know when you crossed over that line, right? Where you were thinking, you're considering, you're deciding, and you say, okay, I want to believe, I want to follow him, right? That's the elect. And the Bible says that even the elect will be deceived. There's a plan and a purpose to try to annihilate you even though he's been defeated, even though he has already lost his power, his plan is still already written. And I know that our minds don't understand this fully, so don't try to understand it. Just know that it exists. Just know that it is. 
And the Bible says in many, many ways, and I'm just going to look at some of them quickly, that we must be on our guard, we must rely on God. Let me firstly read this. It's a, a verse from James, and I love this verse so much because such a picture of really just our entire lives as Christians uh, right at the beginning and what we must continue to do, and it's in James 4, verse 6. James 4, verse 6 says, And he gives grace generously. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? He gives grace to the humble. You humble yourself. That's what you did the first time you said, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. That's what you did. You humbled yourself, right? We took our pride. We took our thoughts. We took our mentality. We took all of that stuff that's been, was really opposed to God. You just didn't know it. And you laid it down. And many of you may have done it in, in weeping and, and trembling and weakness. And some of you, maybe you didn't have those emotions, but there was a humble heart before God and, and you received him and you came into the kingdom. But it tells us more. It says, verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. Verse 7 says, so keep doing that. Everybody say, so keep doing it. Keep humbling yourselves. And then it says, resist. Everybody say, resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You cannot resist the devil in your own strength. Just don't try. Just get it through your head. In your human strength, you will lose every single time. He will outsmart your human mind every single time. It's like a game of chess. Just when you think, man, I won, he's right there from 10 turns ahead of you to swoop in and take you down. You think it's all good. I got away with it, right? Who has seen believers like this? And it's so sad. And I pray for them. I plead before the Lord for them. They think they got away with it. They think they're 10 turns in and they got away with it. It's like, well, God didn't do anything when I did this and he didn't do anything when I did this and he didn't do anything when I did this and it looks like I'm, it's good, man. I got good life, good health, good. And then all of a sudden, the enemy will come in and strike and kill them. You need to understand he's got one purpose. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. God gave, came to give us life and life abundantly. He has one purpose. It's to steal, kill, and destroy you. And in your own strength, that is what will happen. If you, if you live in your strength, that is what will happen. Everything you have will be stolen from you. Everything in your life will be destroyed. He will kill you. It's just a matter of time. It's just, it's mathematical. It's just statistics. Eventually, he's going to get you. It's like fishing in a fishing hole with no outlet. Maybe you're not going to catch that fish the first time, the second time. It's just math. Eventually, you're going to catch him. And that's what he's going to do in your own strength. But we don't live in our own strength, do we? That's why we stay humble. We get into what the Bible says in Psalm 91, into the secret place of the Most High. We get under the shelter of the Most High. The only reason that he can't touch you is because I live in, under Christ's blood. It's only one drop of blood that cleanses you. It's only one drop of blood that separates you from this world. It's only one drop of his blood, but that's where we live. We live inside that place. And when I get in his blood, there's a legal battle. Do you know that even today there's a legal battle over your soul in heaven? We can read in the book of Job there was a legal battle. He's a conniving, slithering, slick serpent lawyer. And he brings the law, brings the rule, right? So God gave them the law. Here's the laws to try to get you out of his sneaky laws. That doesn't work. So Jesus said, I'll give him my blood. I'll give him my grace. I'll give him my mercy. I'll put my personal spirit, my Holy Spirit inside them so that they will be able to outsmart every single device and every trick Every law that looks like, okay, this is good. I can get away with this. The Holy Spirit will be right there. And you have all felt it in this church. That tugging and pulling that says, don't do it. 
might look good, but this will kill you. This might look like this is a good thing. You're going to get away with it. You could do it, but it's going to get you. I never, ever talk about tithing. You guys can listen to four, pod, four years of podcasts, and I bring up money so little. But you know the devil tries to trick the American church so much, tries to trick us because we have it so easy and so good that you can get away without tithing. You don't even know what you're being robbed of. We have it so easy here, you, you could miss it. You know, you ever hear these stories like, uh, what was it, uh, just happened a couple years ago, this giant theft right under their nose because they had so much that they were siphoning it and stealing it, but they didn't notice because they had so much until finally one day it was gone. You know, you could think I'm getting away with it because God hasn't struck me dead yet, still paid my bills, didn't tithe, but I, I'm not sick and I'm still making money, so obviously tithing doesn't matter. The devil is slick. He's a liar. Do not listen to him. You've got to listen to God's word. Listen to God's word. It's not worth it. And the Holy Spirit inside you will prompt you. Eventually, we get hardness of heart because we keep telling him no, 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 right? But go back to the beginning when it was soft and innocent and you just thought, this is what I'm going to do because this is what his word says. The only reason that we don't do it anymore is because it's not that his word changed, it's because our heart changed. Come on, let's be honest. Did God's word change? His word didn't change, our hearts changed. And I hope that you'll take, I hope that you'll receive that from me because, and that's why I don't talk about it a lot because it was so talked about, uh, me growing up, that then it became hardness in people's hearts as soon as someone mentioned it. So I hope you receive that in softness because I don't bring it up a lot. I'm a huge, huge believer in listening to what his word says, even though it may not make sense in the natural, because God knows better. And tithing is one of those. I'm a tither. I don't talk about it a lot, but Dawn and I give consistently. And then we don't even get down into the science and the math of it. Just keep giving and giving and giving and giving, and God just keeps giving back. And even if he didn't, I would do it because that's what he asked me to do. But the enemy is going to try to come and try to trick you. And the only way to resist him is to humble yourself. How do we humble ourselves? Just like the first time. God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've messed up my life pretty good. Why don't you make it better? Why don't you take this life and you use it? You do something with it, right? Has anybody prayed something like that before? So that's what humility is. So when we humble ourselves, we're trusting God, we're trusting his word, and then it says, by doing that, we resist the devil and he flees from us. Verse 8 says, come close to God, God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. The Bible tells us here in James 4 that it's a humbling and a resisting. A humbling and a resisting. And by doing that, God actually comes close to us. There's a purity that happens and a division between God and the world that was giving the enemy place. That wall begins to come down. Come on, we all have divided hearts. Doesn't matter how mature you are and how long you've been walking with the Lord, there's still divisions in your heart. Right? Who has had the Lord deal with things in your heart this year that were different than last year? Or another level to what he's already been dealing with in the past. He's going to keep doing that because of the goodness of his love and of his grace and of his mercy because he is the good king. His scepter is already out towards us. It's already there. His answer is already there. Victory is already there. But he's telling us, listen, I'm giving you victory. It's yours, but the enemy is still going to try to get you. And if you don't stand up, and defend yourself, and the only way that you do that is in my strength, with my ring on, my, on your finger, with my authority, with my name. And we must do that by humbling ourselves. Just quickly, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, We are human, or you may know it as we walk in the flesh. 
But it says we don't war according to the flesh or we don't wage war as humans do, right? We're a human being, we're flesh, but we don't fight the war in our flesh, in our humanity. You cannot, you will not. In fact, if you try, you mess things up. Who tries to deal with a flesh situation in a, with flesh and you've messed it up, right? Somebody's lashing out at you, you lash out at them. What happens? Does it bring any glory to God or glory to your situation? Certainly doesn't give anybody peace and comfort except a false peace that I told them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I told them good. And you have this false peace. The devil's a liar. You haven't won anything. You've lost, in fact. You've lost in every way. But it says, we don't fight like that. Verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons. Or it says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not human. It says they're not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. And we destroy, verse 5, every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. There is a spiritual battle that is going on. Even though you have the authority and even though Jesus paid the price and won, we must, as believers, walk in it. Everybody say, we must walk in it. Do not let your guard down. Do not just relax and rest and go back to normal life. The enemy will be right there waiting and suck you away. Even, you know, if you go to Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the other um, anonymouses today, right, they're going to tell you idle time is the devil's time. Idle time is the devil's time. Isn't that interesting? Even they know, right? Many, they, well, there was some Christian roots to those groups, and many of them aren't Christians, but they even know as soon as we relax, as soon as we rest and think it's all good, it's not good. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We're supposed to be walking like Mordecai did with the king's robes, with his authority, and with his estate. We've literally been given the estate. You know that this earth was ours. It said, he said to Adam and Eve, have dominion. Rule over this earth. But in Matthew we see Jesus talking to Satan and it says that he's the God of this world. Why is that? Because the dominion, the habitation of Adam and Eve, it was given over and Jesus took it back. He went down into hell and took the keys, took the grip of the enemy off of this. He has a world system, but he does not have this world. He, there's a system that is still working, but it is not his. Jesus took those keys back. Come on, do we know our word? And he gave us the authority, but believers, we must walk in it. We must know that even though his favor's there, the answer is yes. I know I'm being repetitive. I know I keep saying it again because I need us to get this, but we must walk in it. So quickly, for sake of time, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 6. And you could spend weeks just talking about, actually, I have a book at home. I brought it before. It's about four inches thick on these uh, probably seven to eight verses. It's about this thick, just talking about this little tiny chunk of scripture here. So we could spend an enormous amount of time, and I'm going to give you five minutes. But let's just look here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says a final word. Do you know what that means? Right? In the New King James, he says, finally. He's going to sum it up. He's going to say, listen, I told you all these things. Some people, scholars actually say that Ephesians is the complete Christianity. You could read Ephesians. It's the complete picture of a Christian from chapter 1 to chapter 6. If you just read that book over and over again, it's the perfect picture of a Christian living out a Christian life. And that's what a lot of scholars agree on. So, he's saying a final word. The final part to your Christianity. 
Final part to that picture of your Christianity is listen to me, believers. I taught you a lot of things about being a believer, but don't forget this. And who knows, we saved the best for last. Or the most important for last. Or, listen, all these other chapters, you won't be able to do any of that if you don't get this, basically. It's not, doesn't, it's not that this is like, I want to emphasize this, like, like that this is, uh, uh, that we need to be focused on, but you need to understand this when you're trying to do everything else in this book. And this is the understanding. And I want you to get this today. This is what we need to get. Be strong. Everybody say, be strong. In the Lord and His mighty power. You may know it as the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power or in the power of His might. Listen to me, church. It is so important that we understand this. If we don't realize that the power of His might is available, we won't ever get it. And I know you know that it's available. I've made that clear today. His might is available. It's there for you. But listen, Ephesians would not have told us to be proactive about it and to be strong in it if it was automatic. God is not going to do it for you. It's such a tough thing to articulate in human language because I get it in my spirit and I believe you do too. He's already done it in the spirit, but you have to walk it out in the natural. Does that make sense? It's already done. But you have to walk it out. It's like me paying for four years of college for my children. Right? I pay the whole thing. It's paid. I'm not even going to give you Mercedes. You can even go back to school with a brand new Mercedes. I'm going to give you a dorm. I'm going to give you everything. It's all for you. I'm going to give you food money every day. I'm even going to start calling some of my friends in power, and they're going to give you a job after you're done with those four years of school. But there's one thing I can't do for him. I can't sit in the classroom and make you learn and make you go home and apply it. I can lay out everything you need and set up the whole thing for you, but you must walk it out. And that's what he's telling us here. It's in the power of his might, but he says, be strong in it. So, it's not any part of you. Come on, let's get this. It's still 100% God, but you must be in it. It's still all God, but if you are not in it, the enemy will take you down. Come on. He tries to come around you to get you back into your old thinking. The Christianity, we call that stinking thinking. <laughs> He'll try to get you back into that thinking. Well, it's just I, you know, I'm overwhelmed and or whatever your issue is, try to just get you back. But Ephesians says, don't do it. And he actually tells us how. So I'm just going to read the, I can't preach on these verses, but I'll just read the verses and then we'll look at it further another time. And I want you to go home and, and really read this. Take this home this week. Don't just listen to the sermon and get up and say, okay, that was nice and I'm going to go on with my day. But take this with you this week. These verses, read it every day. It says, put on all of God's armor. Come on, what's it say? It says, put on. Why would we have to put on something that's already on us? I've heard so many arguments and so many sermons of when's it come off, when's it go on. Listen, let's not complicate something that's simple. I don't know when it comes off and when it goes on. All it tells me to do is to put it on. So when I feel like I'm in weakness, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to sit there and have a mind battle while it's already on. Let's just settle it right now. I'm going through it, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on again. Maybe I'm just going to put on another layer. I don't know. Maybe some of the armor's on and some of it's not. But regardless, it tells us put on the armor of God. Put it on. So it's like God's given you all of his armor. I, I, I mean, I have this vision of God in heaven like, I mean, I guess I get it as a father now. Like, I don't know what else to do to try to show you. Everything is there for you. It's there for you. I've given you everything, but you still have to do it. I don't know how to 
I think we get it. I think we get it in our hearts. We get it in our spirits. We have to put it on. Even though it's all his armor, you still have to put it on. And it says, so that. Come on. So that. Everybody say, so that. You will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. What's that mean? It means without it, you won't be able to stand firm. It's very simple. With his armor, I can stand firm. Without his armor, I'm not going to make it. Don't be surprised that you're in a battle believer. Don't be surprised. But don't sit there and let the enemy win. And don't, you know what? I just, I want to free us today. Can I free us? Don't let the enemy lie to you and think he's even won an inch in the battle. You might feel like you have lost all your ground. We on this earth are in an ant farm. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's literally preparing a place that says that moth and rust cannot destroy, thieves cannot break in and steal. We have an eternity that is set and it is secure. You have not lost any ground when you humble yourself and come into the Lord. And even if it seems like you have lost everything, to, you've given everything to the enemy, you know the moment you humble yourself and come back into his presence again, not only is it all restored, whether you see it in the natural, it's not like, you know, your boss calls you and says, oh, you can have your job. You know, yesterday you were acting like Satan, you lose your job. I'm not telling you the next day he's necessarily going to call you and say you have your job back, but that just means God's got something better for you. That's a famous line. Don't call Jeannie when you're in crisis because she's just going to tell you this is amazing because God, that means God's got something better for you. <laughs> but it probably won't encourage you in the moment. You'll get it in, in a few days. It'll make sense and you'll appreciate it in the moment. It's not necessarily what our flesh wants to hear. But it is the truth. It is the truth. You have not lost anything. The enemy tries to lie to you. What you need to do immediately is just start putting that on again. You need to remember, and that's what he tells us, and I'll just, I'll read it. It says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers. There's a whole hierarchy here, and different translations explain the hierarchy in different ways, but just quickly, you know, there's some powers, and they're in the seen and the unseen, but verse 13 says, therefore, everybody say therefore, right? In Christianity, we say that's there for a reason. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. It says, after the battle, you will be standing firm. And then again, verse 14, stand your ground. Don't go out trying to pick a fight. That is not your job. The devil has already been dealt with by Jesus. You don't need to go out and fight the devil. You just need to, you need to be doing what he's asked you to do. And when the devil comes, you stand. That's the picture of a believer, is a standing believer. And it says, you stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Let's just read them. The belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, right? It's a breastplate of righteousness. And for shoes, it says, put on the gospel of peace, peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. It says, in addition to all these, verse 16, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. See, it's our faith, right, that stops it. And we, you know, you're not going to stop it in your human strength, but your faith in God is the only thing that's going to stop it. And put on salvation. We need to remember, I am saved. I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High. I've been set apart. You can't steal anything from me. You might take from this earth. You can even take my human body, but you've taken nothing because I'm set and secured in heaven. I'm sitting in Christ right now. So we need to remember that our salvation, we put that on, and that guards our mind. It, it guards this, this really even, uh, we don't know this heart connection here, but it, salvation is there. Um, and it says, as your helmet, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. 
if we get this, it does not mean that you will not be in a battle tomorrow or maybe still in one today, but you will win. You don't try to, dict- you don't try to dissect the results as if you're winning or losing. You have no idea what winning or losing is. How could you possibly understand that you're an ant in an ant farm in God's living room? You don't know what winning and losing is. All you need to do is stand your ground. I'm going to keep trusting you anyway. I'm going to keep praising you anyway. I'm going to keep loving you anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to rest in your salvation and rest in your righteousness. I'm going to keep speaking your word. I'm going to have my faith in you. I'm going to, sit, I'm going to stand here in peace. And I'm just going to stand and I'm going to stay. And truth is going to hold it all together. I'm not listening to your lies. It's the truth of the word of God. Amen. All right, I hope that the Lord put something deep inside your heart today. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Holy Spirit, right now, seal it up. Guard them. Put those seeds down so deep, Lord, the enemy cannot touch them. And I pray they would sprout into trees, Lord God, of righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.